My name is Rob Katz. I'm the CEO of Val Resorts, and I want to welcome you to Epic by Nature. Around the world, across all of our resorts, we have employees who are experiencing their own epic journeys. Employees who are the heroes of their own stories, who constantly challenge themselves to give more, to do more, to be more. We developed this podcast so that we can share their journeys and the journeys of our guests, our mountains, and our communities, all of which are truly epic by nature. We have to be ambitious and we have to be accountable to one another as a team. We're together in this as a community, as a mountain, as a resort network, and it just makes me feel part of something bigger. I want to win, but more than that, way more than that. I want my team to win. We have always been very innovative and I think that is why we are leaders. I found that there was a much greater value in we than in me. Why is a Gatorade $7? I get that question and other questions about our food pricing, maybe more than any other piece of feedback from guests about our business. And it's understandable. We do charge a lot for the food at our mountain restaurants. But why? To answer this question, you need to understand the complexity of serving food at 10,000 feet. I often think that people don't always appreciate how much goes into operating a ski resort, and even more so about our mountain restaurants. In some ways, they look just like any other restaurant, but they're not. There are many challenges to delivering high-quality food at 10,000 feet, but also many amazing stories of creativity, innovation, and culinary excellence. I thought we would start our journey with Doug Woolridge, someone who has spent the last 20 years living in an apartment built above Two Elk, Vail Mountain's flagship restaurant, perched atop China Bowl and across from Blue Sky Basin. Living on the mountain is amazing. The whole idea of being at 11,220 feet is kind of crazy. Uh, the views are spectacular. Uh, during the day, most people see Two Elk as a, one of the most crazy, chaotic places on the planet because we are busy every day. But then in the evening, just a matter of a few hours later, it's one of the most quiet, serene places on the planet too. Doug, the general manager of Two Elk, moved in as a security measure to be the eyes and ears of the restaurant after it was rebuilt following the arson attack on top of Vail Mountain in 1998. Yeah, the original Two Elk, uh, did not have an apartment. There was a lot of talk about how do we keep this from happening again? How do we keep someone else from coming up the mountain and doing the same thing? My boss, the director at the time, came to me and said, they've decided to put an apartment up there. Since you manage it, you can decide who lives there. And I immediately raised my hand. I'm like, done, I'm going to live there. I did it with the intent of living here for one season because who has the opportunity to say they lived at 11,220 feet? And I'm still here. No one understands the unique challenges of mountaintop restaurants better than Doug. Doug runs the operations of five restaurants from Two Elk. He is in charge of the logistics, getting the food on the mountain and the waste off of it. And he runs the teams of people that keep the operations going. Running a restaurant is a complex and demanding job Running five of them on top of a mountain takes an extraordinary level of logistical coordination and planning. 
For instance, we order a product, let's say it's a cheeseburger. Uh, we order our product and that burger and the bun and the lettuce and tomato and everything that goes with it uh, comes from various trucks. Those trucks pull into a warehouse that's two stories underground under the Arabelle Hotel in Lion's Head. We have a whole team of people to help unload those trucks and organize it by facility. Then we wheel it down a tunnel that's underground under the skier yard in Lion's Head. They wheel it underground to the bottom of the gondola. They take it up an elevator. We put it on a work car. And then we have a whole team of people that run the gondola. It rides up the gondola in a work car. We have another team of people that unload that work car and take it down two stories to our snowcat. They drive those products all the way across. I have another team of people that help unload that cat when it gets here. And then I have a different team of people that actually prepare that cheeseburger and put everything together. And then I have a someone take that person's money and then I have a whole team that clean the dining room. So the logistics of getting product here and the amount of people, the amount of staff that it takes to sell that cheeseburger is is a pretty staggering number at times. Getting the food up on the mountain is a critical step, a step that can only happen if we can get food to the mountain in the first place. And given the remote locations of many of our resorts, that's not always a safe bet. Tim Martin, our Director of Food and Beverage Performance and Innovation, highlights the critical problem. When you think about a restaurant in, say, Denver, they get regular deliveries. If there isn't a delivery, if they get in a, a super tight pinch, they could run to the market, they could run to a King Supers or a Whole Foods and find that ingredient to get through service. They have access to farmer's markets on a regular basis that are out their door. You know, there's a, a fundamental piece of restaurant operations is receiving your deliveries, um, where your vendors come to typically your back door and give you your fish, your produce, your meats, the things you need to cook your food. And for some of our more remote mountain locations, that poses a problem. Lou Trope, our vice president of food and beverage for the mountain division, explains. The thing that's unique about Stevens Pass, Crested Butte, and sometimes even Kirkwood, Stevens Pass, Fastest route a truck has is probably two and a half hours. Crested Butte, most of their deliveries are coming out of Denver on a daily basis. That's a four and a half to five hour trip over a pass to get to Crested Butte, and it's not a fun pass. The same thing with Kirkwood, where there's one road in, one road out. Big snowfall, they might not get a delivery for two, three days, and we have limited storage at the resort. So you put all those factors together, it can be a little bit of a white knuckle ride waiting for your delivery to show up. And then if you think about the layout of some of the villages, like, yes, there are driveways that go into them, but they may not be obvious. They might be tight. They might have clearance issues. You have snowplow piles and all of the other fun stuff, people walking around in ski boots. I get stressed out driving my Subaru through Vail. I can't imagine driving a big rig through Vail and trying to make some of those turns. So it's challenging to get the food to the mountain, challenging to get the food up the mountain, and even when that all goes right, you still may not be able to open the restaurant at all. One day this past January, a wind hold was causing Wolfgang Stir, the executive chef at Whistler Blackcomb, all sorts of stress. 
Wolfgang is responsible for more than 17 on and off mountain restaurants. The Winhold shuttered three of those restaurants with 800 seats, and that wasn't the worst news of the day. So out here, I don't know if you heard of this, uh, this, is, this is our umbrella bar. It's fantastic on a sunny day. The unfortunate thing is that last week we had 160 kilometer winds and the top got blown off. So extreme weather is all part of a day's work. It certainly takes a dedicated chef who is willing to overcome extreme weather variability and constrained access to produce before even tackling the menu of the day. For Wolfgang, the inherently challenging aspects of running restaurants atop mountains was in his blood. Started very early at the age of three. My parents owned a small country hotel in the Bavarian Alps in a ski town. And I'm told that I was standing behind my mom in the kitchen looking into the pots and pans. Wolfgang first started working at Whistler in 1992, eventually making his way to Ontario and opening a farm to table restaurant called The Wildflower. Over 15 years later, the mountains were calling and he returned and has been the executive chef since 2013. Now an expert in cooking at altitude, Wolfgang describes some of the daily adjustments he has to make. It takes a lot longer to boil water when you cook here in the Alpine, so that's a definite challenge. Making sure that the freshness is there. I find that produce doesn't last as long in the Alpine because of the altitude. Uh, and I can't imagine how the guys down in Breckenridge and in, in Beaver Creek deal with this because of the, al the altitude that they're at. Other than that, simply installing equipment. If you have gas-powered equipment, you need to calibrate the equipment and uh, have more air available for the gas actually to work up here. Whistler Blackcomb tops out at an elevation of just over 7,000 feet. Meanwhile, over at Park City, Cloud Dine restaurant sits at 10,000 feet, and the menu they serve at Cloud Dine is known for doughs. Fresh pizza doughs, pretzels, chicken pot pies, and fresh donuts. Executive chef Alex Momborg is accountable for perfecting their dough recipes, a particularly challenging task at altitude. As you can imagine, there's quite a bit of differences in baking at such a high altitude as there is baking at sea level or even down here um, at the base level. A lot of it is trial and error. We tried pizza dough probably 30 times before we got it right. Whenever we try something new, we usually, in the summertime, we'll make it at Legacy Lodge, which is at our base level, and then we like, okay, let's put this at Claudine, and we try it a few times, and it doesn't work, and so we have to like, you know, modify our recipes, take a little bit of the yeast or the baking powder out, add a little bit more flour, try it again, see if it works. So it's trial and error, but we usually are pretty persistent till we get it right. Alex had been working as a cook in Snowbird in 1996 and realized that if he wanted to be a chef, he had to get serious about preparing and took himself and his wife back east to attend culinary school. Eventually, he returned to Canyons and joined as the executive chef in 2010. Most chefs are trained to run their kitchens for at least two meals a day, 365 days a year. But in the ski industry, Alex quickly realized that wouldn't be the case. Everything would be condensed. We are only open for four hours a day, five to six months a year. But in that short time window, we serve hundreds of thousands of people in our restaurants. So I, I feel like we have pretty much mastered the art of quick service dining at elevation and have been able to maintain a high quality product. 
Running a profitable and successful restaurant with such a short operating season is no easy feat, especially when the old style ski resort food doesn't cut it anymore. We need to be innovative. The guest expectations and the, the, the guest knowledge has been greatly influenced by the Food Network over the last couple of years. And a lot of people are very food savvy and they know what they want. And that's good because it keeps us guys in white or gray jackets in line and we have to keep pushing the boundaries. So how do we reimagine the guest dining experience and balance the needs of serving thousands of people in a couple of hours in remote locations? Wolfgang started experimenting using high quality ingredients and drawing on the unique talent he had within the resort. He encouraged his young chefs to think outside the box. We were working on the Thai station and Chef Wade Wright as from Australia and Australia is very close to Thailand and he had a lot of experience in this field. And this is where I leaned on him and I challenged him and I said, wait, we need a green curry, we need a red curry, we need a tamarind sauce, we need to find the perfect rice for this dish. So it was very fun working with a young and inspiring chef uh, to, to come up with these ideas and then be in the kitchen side by side with him, having curry paste, things that I've never worked with before and learning something along the way of developing a product that is gonna serve hundreds of people throughout lunchtime. We used to open boxes and put things in a fryer or the oven. We're now in a place where we open boxes of fresh gailan and fresh beans and fresh vegetables. And we were preparing the food in front of the guest, which was one of the things we wanted to achieve, rather than just opening a lid and having a ladle in scoop and serve. Satisfying the needs of our discerning adult guests is a necessary step forward. But what about kids? When it comes time for snacks, we need to be delivering just as much fun to our youngest guests. Nina Hennendale is the Senior Manager of Food and Beverage in Beaver Creek and has been with Vail Resorts for nearly 20 years. Nina oversees nearly 100 employees across five restaurants, including the now famous Candy Cabin, Cookie Cabin, and Ice Cream Parlor. Each of my locations are very unique. Each one is, has a heartbeat. Each one has a personality. Each one is charming in its own way and adds an experience to each of our guests in a different way. Beaver Creek's unique culture is intrinsically tied to the family experience. Many of you will have experienced or heard of Beaver Creek's famous cookie time. Every day at 3 p.m., you will find chefs and volunteers at the bottom of Lift 6, right in the heart of Beaver Creek Village, handing out freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. So cookie time originated in 1985. Beth Howard, who is our now COO in Beaver Creek, she shared a story with me that it started with a little teeny cart at the bottom of Centennial Lift. And the cart had a hot chocolate dispenser and a plate of cookies. Um, and then it gradually evolved. And then it was the early 90s that cookie time came to life and became part of our Beaver Creek experience. We serve about a half million cookies a year. With the success of cookie time, it was a natural extension to see how the resort could enhance the experience. It made sense to explore other opportunities for children's experiential dining. And Nina pitched an idea for a candy cabin. Candy's always been magical to me. Growing up, my grandfather was president of Willy Wonka Candy Factory. So we spent our summers with him. 
and we would go to the candy conventions and we'd go tour the Willy Wonka candy factory and he called us house angels and we'd have to line up men and we'd walk through the, so it always had great memories. So for me, designing and connecting with the candy cabin has been amazing and watching it grow. The candy cabin is a cozy little ski in, ski out mountain cabin, which is full of barrels of candy and locally made chocolates and sweet treats nestled at the top of Strawberry Park Express Lift and Upper Beaver Creek Mountain Express Lift. Nina was the perfect person to bring the vision to life. I was able to personalize the candy cabin in so many ways. My children, Jake and Finn, they were quite young at the time. They had a lot of influence on the candies that I chose. Behind the counter at the candy cabin is my personal bear collection. It's um, a collection of probably 60 bears, if not more, that were in storage for 22 years. My boys never appreciated them. So I found an opportunity when we were designing the candy cabin to be able to showcase my bears. And there they are front and center. And that's really neat. When older guests come in that are familiar with an old fashioned candy store with the barrels and the baskets and the dispensers, their eyes light up. And the emotions that children are feeling that have never been to a candy store, let alone on the mountain, is pretty magical. I remember one day I was at the candy cabin and this small child came in and she threw off her gloves and ripped off her helmet and she was just couldn't believe it. She was hugging the barrels and that was, um, that made me smile. And that's the emotional connection. Last year, the concept was further expanded with the launch of the cookie cabin and then very quickly followed with the ice cream parlor. Not your average ice cream shop. This is a nostalgic journey to a different era which serves old-fashioned traditional malted milkshakes, banana splits, and novelty ice creams. Beth came to our team and she said, I want a warm hug. We have this space and we need to create the five senses and a sense of emotion. So we were given a space and we were given an idea and we brought it to life with our innovations team. So that's how the cookie cabin started. It was Beth, her directive was a warm hug. And I, I see when our guests come in, they feel that, and I do. So clearly our restaurants can be very fun and playful, but how do we build them? How do we create these incredible structures on mountaintops? Certainly not the same as building a Chipotle at a local strip mall. Well, that's where people like Kyle Griffith, our vice president of real estate, come into play. On mountain locations or selection of on mountain locations for restaurants is pretty critical and challenging. I would say the challenging component is, is getting the location right, number one. We want it to be in a location that, that's accessible to our guests but doesn't prevent our guests or doesn't require our guests from maneuvering in a way that they wouldn't typically maneuver on the mountain or circulate around the mountain. So that's a challenge as well as providing adequate ski storage and ski racks and circulation. You're, you've got a lot of dynamic. You've got people skiing by a restaurant. You have people stopping to put their skis on a rack to, to go enjoy the restaurant. And you have people leaving the restaurant and kind of joining the mix back into skiing. So you wanna make sure you have enough circulation space for that. And then building at our elevation and in our climates is, is also challenging. You do have to take into consideration snow from a, a snow shedding aspect and an engineering aspect and a loading aspect, base depth 
So as you as you probably can imagine, a lot of our restaurants have a floor elevation that's above the ground elevation because we do most of our operations in the snow. So we try to to build in that depth or allow us to maintain the snow at the appropriate depth for whatever elevation it is and still align with the finished floor. Not only are the design and engineering components of our projects complex, but getting material and equipment to our construction sites can pose a challenge. And then there is the pressure of getting the projects completed before the season begins. Construction timeline for a typical restaurant on mountain would be a contractor mobilization in May and a completion in November. Early November, ideally, just because when we're trying to open from a resort standpoint, now we've had restaurants like Pioneer Crossing end or complete in late December, but there's a lot of logistical challenges in that. The construction cost of all this complexity is significant, a huge premium than what it might cost to build the same restaurant in a city. The same is true when we are renovating a restaurant, which often makes sense especially when we have some incredibly historic sites. Just this past summer, we completed a special project in Park City, the renovation of Mid-Mountain Lodge. Deidre Walsh, the senior director of Mountain Dining at Park City, shares the story behind her passion project. So Mid-Mountain Lodge was built in 1896, and it was original to when the resort was a silver mine and it had actually been located near a Bonanza lift, and it was moved in 1987 to its current location, which is near the Pioneer McConkie's lift. And that move itself is, is a pretty cool story. It was like seven bulldozers and a lot, of, um, a lot of guys around. The building itself was the mess hall for the miners. So the original building, you went inside and it was all the seats where the miners would have their meals and then upstairs served two purposes. One were the offices for the executives and then also it had a bunkhouse. So when the weather became impassable, the miners or the executives would sleep there. And this summer, we had a unique challenge to say, okay, this is, we know this building is incredible in its history and its heritage and yet, we're not getting enough guest over to this restaurant. And so how do we reimagine it where we get to honor that history and also make it sort of modern? We knew that we wanted to preserve the history of the building, a building that had quite literally survived being hauled up the mountain. And we also knew that its existing format wasn't working. So we set out to provide an elevated signature dining experience. We just didn't quite know exactly what that was going to be. And that's where the teams come together. In this case, Deidre, Alex, and Kyle, amongst others. So we came up with this term of modern Victorian. We worked with a design company to really elevate that and honor that heritage and actually like own it a little bit more and also create this really cool space. Chef Alex explains how the food and beverage concept for Mid-Mountain Lodge came together. So Mid-Mountain Lodge is one of the restaurants that we spent a ton of time this summer concepting. We have two sides of the food service. One side is our healthy side, which is based all around uh, the Buddha Bowl concept. People seem to love it. 
we have a big line there every day. We've been selling a ton of them. The other side of the line at Mid Mountain Lodge is the hot side, which we designed around our rotisserie. We have a large vertical rotisserie that we roast about 30 chickens a day in, and we added a full bar, which is basically designed for winter cocktails. Mid Mountain Lodge has a huge deck, so we've got deck seating for the bar and deck seating for the restaurant and the uh, and fire pits all down on the lower level. It's just a really cool vibe and really pairs well with both the menu and the bar and everything kind of just really, really flows well together right now. From the initial conception at Park City to leveraging the central project management team out of Broomfield to plan and execute, this was a uniquely Vail Resorts team effort. As we look to the future, this is our secret sauce, our network. In the last year, the Chefs Alliance was formed and this has allowed our restaurants to leverage the network to their local advantage. Lou Trope explains. I think with the procurement process, the biggest advantage we took this year is we created the Chefs Alliance. So each executive chef from our resort is involved with this. And then we're able to work with our, our local, uh, regional, and national suppliers where the chefs can go through, do blind tastings, and identify the best products that are available for us that we can use throughout our resorts. Our chefs are really holding each other accountable for a better experience for our guests and also really embracing the partnerships that we want to build with our suppliers and get them to treat us like the national global company that we are. Chef Alex has already started to see the benefits. We've had quite a bit of success this past year um, and it's been really great to get to know all the other chefs and it's amazing the resources that we have when we can all collectively put our heads together and realize that we've got 300 restaurants under under our belt. Hopefully, what comes through from all these leaders is how many things have to come together all just right to make dining possible at 10,000 feet. That means that a Gatorade at the top of a mountain is gonna cost a little more than at your neighborhood grocery store. But our goal is all about delivering that experience of a lifetime for our guests which means never standing still. Wolfgang sums it up nicely. Why do we elevate things and why do we keep driving forward? Because we don't satisfied with, with the success we just had. We want, we want to make sure we do better. Uh, I feel that food and beverage is kind of like the comfy couch for our guests. They come into our restaurants. They may have a good day, they may have a bad day. They usually come in when it's cold and we, we want to give that warm hug to them by saying, hey, you know what, take a break get some food in you, have a drink, uh, enjoy the views up on the mountain, and then get back out there and enjoy the slopes and, and have a lot of fun. I want to thank Doug, Wolfgang, Alex, Nina, Deidre, Kyle, Tim, and Lou for joining us on this episode of Epic by Nature, and everyone who works in food and beverage across our resorts for the experience you provide to our guests. Once again, if you have any feedback or comments on today's episode, please send it to podcast at veilresorts.com. Thanks for listening.